This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear the buggles on the stereo. But where? Where could you go for all that fun? Well, if you've been paying attention, you'll know that video may have killed the radio star, but those classic games are all alive and well at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. And we're here to talk about video games, oddly enough. Thus, thus the name, classic video game podcast. Well, I, I figured, you know, if, if we're going to call it a, a, a podcast about classic arcade games, we should actually talk about that instead of... Every w- once in a while. Wicker or, or... Or pinball, as you've been talking about mostly oh, recently. Pinball, no. You we went like to a pinball. pinball thing. You talk about pinball stuff. Our feedback. We got feedback about pinball movies. Pinball. We've become a pinball con- uh, podcast. Oh, stop. Because of not. you. <laughs> <laughs> I went to IFPA 11 last weekend. I mm-hmm. uh, had a good time. There are a lot of people there that I didn't know. Um, well, I, I think I talked about this last week, but I'm going to talk about it again because that's the kind of guy I am. Uh, if I if I go to, say, uh, the, the Kong Off and I walk in there, I tend to know who at least you know the the big name players are you know hank and and billy and because you're an industry schmoozer i I really am i am (laughs) yeah i'm just i'm just a suck up but um i walk into to the pinball place and i don't know anybody there i I think i knew the important people because they were the ones with the fingerless weightlifting gloves (laughs) you had said last week and i still kind of find that funny um so anyway i i walked around with my little a uh, cell phone camera turned on and shot some video of, of the arcade action, not arcade, pinball action, um, and posted that on Facebook. It's not very interesting, but uh, unless you're, I guess, sort of into that thing, and then you would maybe recognize some of the faces there. So check it out if you want to. Cool. Yeah. How are you? I'm not playing pinball. Well, is that good or bad, though? <laughs> it's good. It's very good. <laughs> I have a question for you about this IFPA thing. Although yeah. still, I, f- I feel silly just saying IFPA. So that was where you are in the in the weird high city in the clouds, Colorado, right? <laughs> the mile and high is city? It, is it always there? Is like Colorado the center of the pinball universe? So you have no. the championship there every time? or No. It, it, I, I, like, I, I honestly not, don't know. This is totally, I, like, I'm out I, of the I, pinball world completely. Yeah, I, I was not. I mean, I knew that they had competitions and, and things like that, just like they do for arcade games. But... I guess this is something that happens in a different city every year. This is, this is the first time that I'm I was, that I'm aware of anyway that, that it took place here uh, in Colorado. Okay. Yeah. So it won't be here next year. Okay. Or then again, maybe it will. I don't know. Still okay. <laughs> I'm okay with all of that. We did have. Yeah. It was. Had, I had a good time, and and one of the the great things about it is that um, you know we learned that. Uh, we learned from the Kong off that watching other people play games is interesting for about mm, 20, 22 minutes or so. And then you're kind of bored and going, oh, all right. What's nice about about 
IFPA11. Is that better, Carrington? It is. Um, <laughs> and I, you that? should pronounce the uh, I dot space. Dot space. <laughs> India, Foxtrot, Papa <laughs> exactly. <Top> Alpha. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, the, um, they had a section that was that was uh, roped off for for the competition, of course, but they also had a large portion of, of their their little warehouse there that was set up with pinball and, and arcade games that anybody could just come in and play for a while. So if you got bored watching uh, people run up the scores on on those machines, you could play a little pinball of your own. And I think that for me was kind of what kept me the reason I went back on Saturday and Sunday rather than just hanging out for a little while on Friday night and leaving. Cool. Yeah. And I had a good time. Not I'm not a pinball player. I'm not good at it, but I had fun anyway. So there, take that. <laughs> I'll take it. I don't know what we're doing with it, but I have now taken it. We had feedback. Um, we didn't get a lot of feedback this week. Some weeks, pinball lots, feedback. Some, but we got pinball feedback. Yes. Let me check somebody. You know what? It was Dane. Dane on Twitter. He wrote mm. us to say, this movie on the creation of Pinball 2000 is pretty fascinating. I think we may have talked about it before. He gave us a link over to Tilt, the battle to yeah. save pinball, which he's right. That's actually a really good movie. It is. That's where they talked about. The, I think it was the, the failure. Um, <laughs> well, and I think in specific, it wasn't it the the Phantom Menace table mm-hmm. that that sort of ended uh, Williams's involvement in pinball. Exactly, and it really is sort of about it. Kind of circles around Williams getting out and stuff. Um, Andrew on Twitter, Andrew Driver, then followed up to actually say, you know, great film with the DVD. You get ninety plus minutes extra, uh, ninety plus minutes of extras. GG's emotional presentation, him knowing WMS is closing. And so I will convert those for people that are not listening via Twitter. GG would be George Gomez and WMS would be Williams, which is, and the, I think the, the current descendant of Williams is uh, call, actually called WMS. So, uh, yep, WMS.com would be the, yeah. the, the current live version of them. And they make, I think, uh, um, slot machines now, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yep. You can tell because of their website that I'm now looking at is filled with those responsibility notes. Oh, you know, when you play, no, nobody that's not trying to take your money through the game has to post those. In fact, I wonder if they should start <laughs> pushing those on the freemium games. You want to do those free to play, but your kids have to pay a million dollars for every coin on your iPhone. They should have to have those, you know, play responsible tags. Be all mothery. So yeah, Tilt was really good, and even if you're not super into pinball, which at the moment, still I'm not, I'm on the fence about that, but I have really no pinball association, what I liked about it was, it's, it's a, it's fun anyway, like it's, it's about, it's about innovation, it's about people really passionate about creating things, it's about gaming, and it's about stunning failure, (laughs) it's like, and it's so, I found it a really like a remarkable and remarkably enjoyable film. I remember when I watched it, I, I would actually recommend it to anybody who's just into, into games and gaming culture, period, even if you don't think of yourself as a fin- pinball fan. So I'll, I'll make sure I put links to various places you can you can find the movie online or purchase it through iTunes, that kind of stuff, because it's actually really good. It seems to be a universal thing that when something fails, especially on a on a scale that large where it takes down a division or an entire company, it's never just one thing. You know, it's always like it's always a, a perfect storm of things going bad, whether it's, you know, with the when Apple developed their Apple three, there was a whole bunch of different things that came together at, at the wrong time and in the wrong order for everything to just sort of fall apart. Mm-hmm. That sort of sums up, I think, kind of what happened at Williams, too, where all these different things that, that were coming together to make a really great thing instead took a left turn all at the right time or all at the wrong time. And, and 
suddenly you're looking at disaster and the, the division's being shut down and people are being fired. And so it's interesting to hear all the different perspectives from the people who were there and and um, sort of how it affected them afterwards, too, you know, because because when something like that happens, it tends to stick with people on a personal level. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah, highly recommend that film, even if you don't like pinball. Carrington. <laughs> Yes, I'm going to be the grumpy one in this in this show <laughs> for a change. But we like arcade games here, so why don't we talk about some arcade games? Um, Monty wrote us something I think worth worth bringing up, and then we'll jump oh, yeah. into the game. Yeah. So he he wrote. Let me bring up his email here. Uh, he wrote, "I have a main converted four player Spider Man cab. Hopefully, Ooh. Monty converted in a way that can be put back. We do not condone the death of arcade <laughs> games here, um, unless it's unless it's uh, bubbles. Even then." For them, we, we want to play nice with the real cabs. Uh, he says that I always play with my three-year-old son, complete with trackball, spinner, and Tron joystick. Many of these games I play with him, I have learned from no quarter. My son is always <laughs> asking for his size of cabinet as he is mes- mesmerized by the broken Coleco Galaxian mini cabinet he sees on my desk. Thanks to Mike, I found a solution. The iCade. Never even heard of it until your show, but thankfully, I just noticed it when Toys R Us was liquidating them for $20 each. Score. Yeah, I saw that. It's mm, crazy. Nice. Yeah, he says, my son will be very happy, though I'll know eventually, as he gets bigger, only a full-size cab with curved CRT will do. That is a total score. But I really wanted to bring up his email because of the PS. He says, PS, main tip. Not only is the Tron stick slash spinner combo obviously perfect for Tron, it's amazing for afterburner. Trigger for bullets, great flight stick movement, and the spinner is a great control for that analog thrust when you need to activate the afterburner. Never even thought of that. That's an amazing control combination. I want to check that out for some other games as well, the, the spinner flight stick combo. I like it. Yeah, I, I agree. Afterburner is one of my favorite, not really flight simulator, because there's nothing real about that, but it's one of my favorite flight games, especially um, one of the arcades that I used to go to as, as a kid had the, the environmental cab, the one that kind of would turn, the, the whole cockpit would, would move to match your, your flight pattern, um, and and that became quickly became one of my favorites. It's definitely a, a quarter gobbler, you know, you know, as soon as you die, it's it's asking for more quarters and you got the, the little countdown continue 10, 9, 8. So uh, I know I dumped a bunch of quarters into Afterburner and um, we may find a way to talk about that. I, I know that we tend to shy away from special cabinets or weird controllers and things like that, but I think it's hard, hard to seek out and play. Yeah, but I think it's one that we should we should figure out how to do. I agree. Let's put some effort in, finally. <laughs> Somebody needs to put some effort into this show. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be us. <laughs> so should we talk about this week's game? Because I'm quite excited to get to it. Um, yeah, why not? It's Bosconian. Now I want chocolate syrup. <laughs> I was just thinking that myself. <laughs> Every time I see the name Bosconian, I just, I stop at the first five letters and, and then I just, mm, Let's play some Bosco. Let's Then I don't play the game and I just go have chocolate milk. But it is a space game. It is a free floating or free movement space game, which is, I guess, the thing that sets it apart. Because at the time, like, I think of early space games, because this is from, what, 1981. So super early on. And I think of games of 81 and earlier being linear. You know, you're you're flying in, uh, you're going up, or you're sitting still, or you move just back and forth. And what's Bosconian is like, you know what? It's a 2D play field. Go and range where you would like. So the free roaming aspect is one thing that jumps out immediately. Love it. 
I like this game a lot. It's sort of, um, I guess, like like cotton candy. You know, it tastes good, and then you you're done eating it, and you just kind of forget about it. Um, I, I certainly don't hate it. I obviously am not in love with the game like you are. I had a good time playing it. I'm going to talk you into it by the end of this episode. It's going to be one of those ones where you come in negative, but you're going to go out positive. We're going to add this to your your top five. You're going to talk this into to the 89th place on my exactly. top five list? <laughs> Maybe even high 70s. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I think it's fantastic. It's got free roaming movement. It's got really nice looking sprites. It's got an amazing soundtrack. It's got that really cool, I'm shooting forward and I'm sneakily shooting backward at the same time mechanic going on. Those great looking uh, uh, enemy star bases, things that you have to blow off. It's got digitized voice. I mean, what else do you want from a game? This thing's amazing. No, are you convinced yet? That was my that was my first <laughs> salvo. Um, I, I remain mostly unconvinced. Mm. No, it's a good game. I, I I had a good time. It's just sort of forgettable for me. You know, it's it's a uh, one of. Uh, and maybe it's because it, it, this game at Bosconian and Bosconian plays on Galaga hardware. And so it looks and sounds just like Galaga to me. And and if I'm going to play Galaga, I'm going to play Galaga. And in fact, there there are um, the spy ship in this game makes an appearance in Galaga. So it does. Yep. So I think if you've got a Galaga game and you're sick of that, you want to upgrade. Nobody ever gets sick of Galaga. You can Stop upgrade to Bosconian. Yourself. The reality is, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about the counter later. Most Bosconian games got converted over to Galaga, which makes Bosconian much harder to come by. Most people converted the other way over. I love Galaga. I love Galaga. There's nothing about Galaga I don't think is amazing. But I I love Bosconian too. I think Bosconian is fantastic. I love the motion. There's so many little details here I want to focus on. Like I like, for instance, let's Bosconian has things that Galaga doesn't. Bosconian has has this this voice. Bosconian talks to you. Bosconian says blast off. <laughs> How do you not like a game that says blast off at you? Spy ships sighted. Come on. It's awesome. As you said, this is a multi-directional space shooter. You have to go around and destroy enemy bases. Uh, each, uh, they're, they're sort of, what, what would you call those? Hexagonal, I guess. They're, they're hexagonal. They're like, they got six balls around the outside. And then there's the central column. They're des- they're described as base cannons and you have to destroy either. They're Russians. That's right, and and I think yeah, you start so you start out with level one has four uh, of these these um, uh, of the enemy bases, and you can either destroy the the bases by shooting all six of the cannons, or you can fire a shot into the into the center of this thing and blow it up that way. Which post Star Wars, we know that any major bad guy will always have that one blaze you can shoot down the middle, and it's great because it kind of, it kind of opens and closes, so it gives you an opportunity. Hey, shoot me if you want. Hey, don't shoot me anymore. <laughs> I love that part. And it becomes much more difficult in, in later levels to do that, but for the first few levels anyway, you, it's that's an easy way to, to rack up some some points. And I, actually, one. I go the other way. I prefer to try to knock out all the bases because I find I shoot those first and try to whittle it down because you get points for those, then blow it up. Mm, yeah, maybe so. You'll probably have a higher score than me anyway, but I still I had some <laughs> I had some technique going. As you said, Carrington, you you fire out the front and the back, which I think that is sort of a neat a neat touch because you can there's there's certainly some strategy to be found there uh, in, in lining up shots in in front and behind. Um, neat touch. I, I like the fact that it's an open play field and you're not sort of stuck to the bottom with things bombing down at you from the top. Well, also because with the the hexagonal bases, there's always that like sort of one column that you can shoot in to get to that middle and it's always going to be either exactly vertical or exactly horizontal it doesn't do the the angle ones so a lot of times you're sort of maneuvering your ship to try to get in that 
get right on top of it or right to the left and right. And then you sort of wiggle back and forth as you're shooting to, to line it up. So the shooting in both directions facilitates that, that, um, that technique, that technique that was getting me the big scores. <laughs> okay. I get some big scores, man. I love this game. I love this game. The music. What about the music? Did, music you, and sound you... are, are, are definitely outstanding. Um, it still, for me, doesn't match up to not, it's not quite as good as Galaga. Everything isn't Galaga, man. And nor, let it go. Nor, nor can it be. Nor, nor can it be. So it should just stop trying, Bosconian. Do you hear me? It's 1981. <laughs> it's not like it was like a long time after Gallagher. This is the same year yeah, as Gallagher. That's true. That's true. Uh, Bosconian was released in, in November of 1981 in Japan and shortly thereafter in the United States. Okay, so it's a matter of months after Gallagher. What's the yes, in, in, uh, in Japan, it was uh, manufactured and distributed by Namco and licensed to, to Midway here in the United States. As I was searching for information on the game, I kept seeing Star Destroyer as... Mm-hmm. as attached to the Bosconian title, but I, it took me a while to figure out that I, I guess Star Destroyer is the only place it appears is on the, the game's title screen in, the, in the, the Namco version and nowhere else. At first I thought, well, maybe it's a subtitle or maybe it's an alternate name. I, the only thing I can think of is that it was, that's what they were going to call it. And for whatever reason, they decided to drop it because they were just thinking of chocolate syrup or something. Now, did you ever read the Lensman series? No. Okay. So I was a fan of, well, I wouldn't say I was really a fan, but so Lensman uh, is science fiction by um, E.E. Doc Smith. I think it was Edward Elmer, but I don't know him as E.E. E.E. quote Doc unquote Smith. And it's his sort of big famous series. Uh, it's a space opera. Like it's one of the earlier space operas and it's a long ranging space opera. I've read the first chunk of it. I never could get through the whole series. It is kind of long, to be honest. There's also a pretty cool anime version but for me bosconian is sort of the the video game lensman because like a lot of the the words even bosconian itself come from lensman it's just, it's just spelled differently it's spelled with a k in the book so it's clear that the lensman series uh influenced at least this game because they would bring up like plur one of the missiles and i'm like i'm sure that's out of lensman so i think a lot of the weird names in the game are just out of that science fiction series and since i was kind of a fan of that 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 adds an extra level of enjoyment to the game for me because it's kind of like you're playing an an early version of that space opera just we're getting rid of all the plot and we're just going to focus on the shooting (laughs) but still kind of cool well and and when you're working on limited hardware i don't know how much of a story I don't know how much of a story you can shove into it other than what's directly in front of you on, uh, with the action happening. So, um, in addition to the, the star bases, you, you also have things coming at you. The star bases are not passively sitting there waiting for you to destroy them. So you have asteroids that are floating around. And if you destroy one of those, you get 10 points. There's a cosmo mine that floats towards you. That's right, 20 so, points. Which looks like an undersea mine. It's like those old fashioned yes. mines that are big ball yep. with the spiky bit sticking out of it. It's that's so right. like sub battle. <laughs> I still, I still dug it, but I'm like, that's not really a space thing. No, there are three different types of missiles that are fired at you. Mm-hmm. The I type, which looks like a fighter and you get 50 points for that. The P type, which looks like a boomerang gives you 60 points. That's and the, the E type. Yes. And then the E type, which looks like the enemy base missile. Okay. And that's 70 points. There's a spy ship that'll get you 200 or 400 points. The enemy cannon, if you shoot a cannon, you get 200 for that. If you destroy the station, that's 1500 points and you have enemy incoming formations and you get 500, 1000 or 1500 points, depending on the missile type. 
And the control fighter in formation, the one that's kind of off color, you can get an additional 100, 120, or 140 points for that ship. And the spy ship is one of those ones that links it to Galaga because it's also a sprite that appears in Galaga. It's one of the transformed ships, is mm -hmm. the spy ship from, yep. from this. So I guess technically it would have appeared in Galaga first. So I, yes. I, I bet these were developed at least a little overlapping. Probably concurrently, yeah. I would think. Uh, you do get a, a bonus if you complete a round without dying. That depends. The, the amount you get is uh, depends on a, a multiplier and uh, the number of bases and things like that. So you, um, that that can really add up depending on how well you do with, with not dying. The, the, there's the details on screen that I think make this game awesome. Like, I, I love the look of the sprites. I love the colors. I love the movement. Like, it's so fun to play a game where you can sort of fly your ship anywhere. And I think this is one of the, one of the first, if not the first, space game, like, top-down looking space game where you could do that. After this came, in fact, very shortly after this, early the next year, would come stuff like Time Pilot and, um, uh, well, Sinistar. Sinistar is like this game, you fly around just like you do in Sinistar. So, but this this game comes first. So I think we have to credit, hey, here's a game that's sort of kicking off that, that, um, uh, not technique, that uh, thing you do. That's the phrase for it. And, <laughs> um, I also, I love the fact that in this game, I don't know, there's, there's, there's kind of like a character to it, I guess, because it's talking, because the game gets kind of frantic. Not Sinistar frantic, but like eventually you're fighting these bases and you have bases on screen that are, when you get enough of them, there's not a ton of room to even maneuver between them. And you're trying to shoot the bits at the same time the bases are shooting at you. There's asteroids and mines floating out. The spy ships or bad guys will come in. They'll come in in formation sometimes. You get those bonus points for knocking out the formation. But it also just means there's more stuff on screen. And so sometimes I'm playing this game and it's pretty frantic. There's a lot of stuff going on screen. And as much as this is early hardware and not super powerful... There's a lot more happening on screen at once than in Galaga. And this thing never stalls at all. I found it just kept up, plays great and smooth. And I think they're really you know, milking all they can out of this hardware. And I think it, I think it should be lauded for that. I think that's another thing that should <laughs> push it up your list. Part of the promotion on Mike's list of top five games. Creeping up into the 60s here. This game won the Arcade Award in 1982 for the best science fiction game. It beat out Gravatar. It beat out Zaxxon. So... Got to get some points for winning the award. Uh, as you said, Carrington, the, the there are several digitized voice phrases as you play through the game. It says, uh, at the start of each new round, it says, alive, alive. when enemies attack, uh, when, when an enemy formation approaches, when the spy ship appears, and... When you enter the red condition, I, I like that there are. I do like that there are different conditions uh, based on your um, conditions. So if there, um, if it's if you're condition green, there are no enemies within view. Yellow means that there are enemies present, and red means that either you have either taken too long or you have failed to destroy the spy ship while it was in range, and the enemy is now moving twice as fast to ram you. I did like, yep. I did like this part especially because you have certain, I guess, mini goals if you want to call them that with, within the action. So if you don't, if you don't do something, something else bad happens to you. Um, and I kind of like how the story branches, I guess, that way. I do like the fact that because you're, again, you're not pinned to the bottom of the screen with stuff diving down at the bottom of you and the play field, relatively speaking, the play field sort of moves around you. So you can't see the whole thing at once. Things come into view and they move out of you. And the game is smart enough to keep track of that. So if something flies 
off the top of the screen and you you sort of circle back around, it's going to come back in on the screen in a logical fashion. It's mm-hmm. not just not going to be there anymore. Well, also, because or... it's keeping track of all that, because we even have a radar screen, a big radar screen yeah. to the right. Like the central part of the screen is, of course, this free-flying, free-roaming space area. But the right side is this column of details, basically. So at the, at the top, you've got the high score, and then your current score right below that. So it's constantly pushing you. are like, hey, get closer, get closer. You can pick up the high score. And then you've got that, like you were saying, the, the condition badge, like, you know, condition yellow or what mm-hmm. have you. And then there's the big rectangular radar screen. And then at the bottom, you've got how many ships you have in reserve. But I love the use of a radar screen. Love it. Yeah, I'm big. I'm a fan of the, the the radar screen. I like that a lot. And I don't know that the game would have been nearly as playable without that radar screen. It, well, it keeps certainly... it honest too, because you yeah. know that it's not just oh, there's things out there and I'll bring them in randomly. No, it's right. keeping track of where everything is. I like well, it. it certainly would have been a, a lot more difficult without that radar screen. And without that, I don't think it would have the case to become one of your top five favorites. But uh, with I... that radar screen, <laughs> we're now with this hardware, like you said, is relatively limited. It is actually keeping track of all that playing, even when the stuff's off screen. Points for that too, I think. Yeah, um, since we've mentioned the hardware a couple of times, it, it uses three Z80 chips for for the CPUs, um, and the MB88XX uh, as a, a sub-processor uh, uses the Namco 3-channel WSG, a custom DAC for the speech, and discrete circuitry, which generates the shot and explosion sounds. It's a two-player alternating game with an eight with uh, a single eight-way joystick and one button for fire. And I do love me some simple control schemes like uh, a joystick and a single fire button. Yeah, totally. Bosconian was also the last of the pre-M6809 games whose score did not the score display did not roll over at a million. Did you know that, Carrington? I did not know that. Yeah, that's that's. Wait, it doesn't roll over at a million. I don't. I, I don't think I understand what you're saying. <laughs> well, so so Bosconian, I guess. Explain um, it to me like I am a child. <laughs> so, so uh, pre sixty eight oh nine, the the Motorola sixty eight oh nine. I um I guess most games rolled over at a million. They would go back to all zeros. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this Bosconian is one of those games that did not. It, it kept going. Aha! Uh-huh. So. When I give my score, I'm not going to, you're preemptively saying, I can't just say, oh, that's because when I hit a million, it's scrolled back Yeah, over basically zero. I'm preempting the cheating here so that I'm the only one that's going to be cheating this <sighs> I hate it when you preempt my cheating. <laughs> and this uh, game has a rollover feature. Not that I would have got there myself, but I guess you get up to like 255 levels and then it, it rolls over to level zero, which I guess is kind of like a flaky level because you're on level zero. But if you can get past that, you're back into level one and can essentially go forever. So I like yeah. that. So this, yeah, it's considered this. Uh, it's considered what is it? The endless play, basically. Mm-hmm. So as long as you can stay alive, you can keep playing on a, a single coin. Also, as far as I know, this is the first game to have a continue feature. Mm-hmm. Want to keep I going? Do. Put a quarter in and keep going. That's gotta bump it up. How many famous firsts in this game does it need to get on your top five <laughs> list, Mike? I, I'm going to keep bringing that- them out. <laughs> I did find that although it does have the continue feature, it's not a quarter muncher. You can, with some practice, last for a while in a single quarter. You're not, you know, dying in 30 seconds and just dumping more quarters into it to get to the next screen. Exactly. So it's a continue uh, feature, but sort of the best of it. It's yeah. making, giving you an honest play for your quarter. Again, points for the, the top big, five list. Yep. I'm a big fan of that. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, there, there's a lot of strategy. You can use the space debris that floats around like the asteroids to, to hide if, if you're feeling overwhelmed. And, um, I think it was implemented all of these, these features again, all these features again were implemented really well and mm-hmm. at a, at a nice polish to the game that you don't always see, especially in the early space shooter clone type games. And I like the look, you know, I really, I've, I've always liked the look of the Galaga type of game. 
And so there's a there's a certain type of color and graphic and almost 3D look, but not really 3D, but just things are are fleshed out nicely. And I it has the same thing going on here, where I just look at these sprites, I look at the the sort of the 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 artwork, and I really like it. Like there's this a couple of games from this era that I've just I've always been really drawn to just in their in their appearance. And I just, I love the sprites in this game. I really like the look of it. Yeah. I am a big fan of the sprites and, and in particular, I like the fact, and, and this is uh, something that it shares in common with Galaga is that it's that the sprites are, are multifaceted. You know, you can, you can, you can easily distinguish, um, you know, that you can see that where the cockpit of the ship is and, and the, the missiles and, and, and guns look different and they're different colors and, and, mm-hmm. and the, the art again, yeah, as you said, comes together really well. The, the music provides a, a nice sort of driving background that kind of helps keep your adrenaline up and, and gets the, the excitement going as, as you get further into the game fits really well. I like this game a lot. Yeah. yeah a couple of years earlier, it would have been, uh, would have almost certainly been a black and white game. And I think the game wouldn't have worked because there's so many things yeah. on screen. Right you kind of need the colors to be able to easily go, okay, on my left, I got a big green blob. That's going to be, that's going to be a space station. I got orange stuff coming on me. Those are missiles. You got the, the blue mines or the, the darker blue and green um, asteroid things and your ship being that nice bright white. And then the enemy ships being like the bright white of the, the V shaped ship and stuff. And so it lets you really quickly differentiate a lot of stuff on screen while you're only looking at your ship. You can use your peripheral vision. So I think color comes into play here a lot in this kind of game. If it had been made earlier, not only would the hardware not be able to keep up with this much stuff, you would have had to simplify the game because you simply wouldn't be able to tell all the stuff apart. At the same time, the colors are not... Uh, garish they don't they don't clash they're not ugly everything kind of fits together well um like this game a lot big fan uh it was designed by akira takanudai and hiroshi nagumo and the music was done by nobuyuki onagi cool i don't think i know them I bet you they probably all did amazing games that I love. I'm just well, not I, I'm looking. Um, I'm actually looking on arcadehistory.com right now, and it looks oh, like that hack rag. <laughs> that hack rag. That's that's correct. Yes. Uh, none of those three went on to do anything else. Those are the only games that they wow, listed on. Okay. Cool. Yep. So, and it may be that they just don't have the information, but but those are the only ones that they are listed as as having worked on. So, yeah, lots going on in this game. A lot to like. Not much to dislike. I I, I can't think of a whole lot other than that it was it felt a lot like sort of a, a galaga clone um but that didn't i was surprised at how how it, my, my first reaction was a eh, kind of a galaga clone but it didn't stick with me the more i played the, the less i had that attachment um so yeah i like this game a lot big fan uh it was ported to pretty much everything uh the msx the amstrad cpc this commodore 64 the sinclair zx spectrum the sharp X68000, the PC60, uh, I'm sorry, the PC6001, which is a Japanese machine. Uh, It showed up on early uh, Microsoft Windows versions, PlayStation, the the PSP, the Xbox, and and basically all of those, you know, the arcade hits collections and the battle Mm -hmm. collections and things like that all have versions of this game in it. It's funny how, though, what's missing from that list are the early home consoles, no Atari 2600 or 5200, no right. television, no ColecoVision. This is the kind of game that looks like it should be a ColecoVision port. Like it looks or there should have been one. Like I look at this game and think, and I think they just couldn't keep up with the number of sprites. And maybe if you just remove a bunch of things, the game doesn't play as well. But it's so funny how you look at the other games from this period and, and how all of them make it onto those early home consoles. And for some reason, this one doesn't. 
And I wonder, yeah, that, that was kind of my thought too, because I'm the, the one, the one home machine that I'm not seeing listed there. Well, actually there's two, I don't see any Atari home machines there at all. Um, and I don't see the Apple II, which, you know, the Apple II obviously didn't have the graphic processing power of some of these other machines. So I, I think it was just maybe a power issue. Like 1981 is one of those, we could eventually just do, you know, shows about certain years. And early on, I mean, 80, 81 is one of those, like, holy cow, the early 80s. You just When you look at the hits of a game and you right. look at, like, this is the year that has... It's got Rally X, it's got it's got Donkey Kong, it's got Stargate, it's got Wizard of War, it's got Frogger, it's got Galaga, Pac-Man. Pac- I mean, just like, just like, and all these coming out and just, what a golden age for like, you go to the arcade and go, what's new? Oh my gosh, every week something that's amazing. And it's so funny how those games though, Donkey Kong, Wizard of War, Frogger, Pac-Man, like all of these are on the Atari 2600. Defender. If you can make a version of Defender to go on these <laughs> things, you're saying you can't do Bosconian. It's kind of weird that this never got ported. Well, this is uh, this is later in, in this is later in in uh, 1981. It's near the end of the year for Japan, and then probably late December for the United States. Um, and it used three Z80 chips just for just for processing power, plus all of the sound stuff that was going on there. So it it actually was a very powerful machine that that, that it required to keep track of not only what was going on on screen but where stuff was when it wasn't when it wasn't visible right there are two different versions of the rom at least there's the old version and the new namco version and the new version the enemy base setup is different uh, both versions have the same uh, setups but they're in different order as the rounds go up um, and this is also true as as far as where your fighter starts uh, for example the setup for round four on the old versions is the same as the setup for round six on the new namco oh. version i didn't know that at all but i do know that one of those roms is way easier than the other and you were playing the easy one and i was playing the hard one and that explains our scores i'm just preemptively I... saying that <laughs> i see because <laughs> i didn't even know there were two roms so i don't even know which one i played then i played a i played whatever one was already on my system I, I usually just try to play the, um, the what do they call it, the parent ROM, because that's usually the main version. So it's like you'll see in, in MAME, the list of ROMs, you'll see one that'll be like Bosco.zip and then Bosco.p.zip and then Bosco.us.zip, the different versions. And I just play the whatever one doesn't have the the localization extensions or, or anything uh, like see, that. See, I so. don't have a front end yet. I'm still doing all text. So I fire up the emulator, type BOSC, hit return, and something launches. <laughs> so I guess I got whatever one is first get a front end old man come on i don't need a front end front ends are for children (laughs) front ends are a fad it's all text in fact i'm gonna start playing these just i'm sick of all these graphics i'm gonna only play ascii art versions of these games from now on (laughs) my favorite bosconian is when the a comes in and attacks by shooting l's at you (laughs) it's gonna be fantastic (laughs) carrington yes mike Tell me, tell me about the different cabinets. I know there's more than one. Uh, yes, there were. Well, there's all there's like the Japanese one and and North American release, essentially the same. And there were three versions of the cabinet. There's the traditional full size upright. There's the cocktail, and then there's the mini mite. And we talked about mini mites before, which is essentially the um, the cabaret version, the shrunk down one. And that line was called the mini mites. M Y T E. I think the cabinet is beautiful and wonderful. I love it. I love it. Do you have a favorite uh, version? Yeah, whatever one I can get on. This is a game that back in the day I played more as a cocktail version. So I think of it as a cocktail game. It's one of the few games that my go-to shape is the cocktail one. Um, though I, I, looking at them now, if I was going to own one, I would own the full-size upright. 
um, because I think it's a beautiful cabinet. I think the color scheme is fantastic. It's got that orange on blue with, with pink highlights. I mean, nothing says 80s colors like that, right? But I think it's still, it's very 80s, which I like for arcade games, but it's also got a timeless design, this great logo shape. Um, it has kick panel art. So down below the coin door, there's kick panel art. And I love a cabinet that use that art space. So few of them do. So I think that's great. And it shows a, a ship attacking the space station. And it's almost... It's almost photorealistic art. It's really nice art. It's the kind of art you'd get on a on a nice cheesy space opera uh, 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 science fiction paperback book. So I think it's perfectly perfectly appropriate considering this rips off the Lensman series. Um, it's got a monitor bezel that has green art, kind of showing the the space stations from the game, those hexagonal things we were talking about, and a nice clean control panel. Oh, and like last week's game, I should point out that it's just the single central joystick. So it's got buttons on both sides. It's another ambidextrous cabinet. They still haven't really sorted out which way we're going to force people to use the buttons. The fewer the buttons, it seems, the more likely they're willing to just put one on either side. Once you've got to go to the expense of having six or eight buttons per player, there simply isn't room to have everybody has a choice. So I think choices had to get made because of that. Um, and it's got great side art. I guess the last thing to bring up is like, I, I like it. It's similar to the kick panel art. shows a space station with an attack in progress. Uh, it's great. It's detailed art. It's, 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 it's really nice. Again, it's like it's almost photorealistic, and it's got this nice colorful surrounding frame with the, the space station graphic, that iconic six-ball graphic at, near the top, and that nice Bosconian logo. I totally love it. You can get side art reproductions um, from places like this old game. So I'll put links in that, the control panel reproductions as well. So if you're if you're taking, say you're taking a, a lesser game like Galaga and you're going to convert it <laughs> or you have a Bosconian cabinet that was, right now. that was converted into something else because so many of these cabinets got converted to Galaga. So many Galagas floating around there were originally Bosconians. And if you wanted to convert it back, that seems fair. Give it back the way it was born. I was born this way, baby. Then you can get side art reproduction. So it is possible to refinish or create a new one of these. I was thinking lately, um, that would be a cool thing to do. Like, say you don't have space to have 50 cabinets, but you love these things. And you want to you wanna just sort of decorate with something to do with classic arcade games. You could just get reproduction side art or just get reproduction or even new or rather original um, marquee art. And that itself would be a cool thing to display. You could get just like some phone core, six by three phone core, and attach the side art to it, put it on the wall, and you've got the, this amazing poster essentially that's actually just cool side art from classic arcade games. I think that would be, I think I might be redecorating my whole place. I think that'd be fun. <laughs> anyway, I love this cabinet. I totally love this cabinet, and this is a cabinet I would be happy to own. It would be in my, maybe my top fives. Mike, how about you? It, has it made its way in yet? Um, I'd say we're at about number 22, 23. I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I've gone to, I've gone from, from eh to, to, to like, to really like, to almost love this game. See, I told so, you, I told you. See, I can um, work on him. I work on him, folks. We start, he starts negative. <laughs> I drag him into my enthusiasm. <laughs> Did you want to talk about the strategy booklets? Their strategy booklets? Well, apparently. Uh, I'd love to talk about of, them. What are they? <laughs> well, there's a piece of trivia that I was reading, reading about the, uh, the, the cabinets. And that's that uh, when, when Bosconian first arrived in North America, Midway gave out strategy booklets to the game uh, from a display attached to the machine. What? So apparently there was some some sort of uh, booklet dispensing mechanism attached to the cabinet side. But those went know. through quickly. Yeah. Or so. I wonder if they were literally attached and you could open up and read it or something. Oh, I'm okay. I'll, I'll find links, folks, and, and we will put something in the show notes so you can see them. Yeah, that's totally cool. I didn't, I didn't know about that at all. There was a sequel to the game called Blast Off. Uh, it was released in 1989. I know nothing about that game. Doesn't matter. 
Bosconian stands alone and is awesome. Uh, okay, so I'm looking at uh, the blast off page on Arcade History, and it sort of looks weird, sort of soft graphic images from from arcade games that came out in the late '80s. You know, where you had sort of the sharp the sharp foreground objects and the the blended backgrounds that just didn't look really right with a lot of weird colors and things. So yeah, it's funny. I'm I'm not actually aware of this blast off game. I'm now looking at screenshots as well. It just does not appeal to me at all. Wow, nope, the graphics really. of this do not look. And it's funny too because it probably has a much higher resolution. But all they've done is sort of blend it together. <laughs> it's like, nope, doesn't look good. Next week on No Quarter, blast off. No, <laughs> nope, you're doing that one yourself. That does not look like a good game. Because um, we only do good games. <laughs> yeah, okay. He says clearly new to this podcast. Right. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll just blame the listeners when we don't like the games <laughs> that we have to play. So that yeah, that was the the official sequel, um, which you know I don't like, and you apparently don't like either. Well, I don't like the look of it. I'm, I'm yeah, preemptively not liking it. Right, you're going into it prejudiced. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story of Bosconian, however, was followed up in Namco's uh, Starluster for for the Famicom. Uh, apparently, it's it's the the gameplay is completely different, but it takes place. The story is is set several hundred years after the Bosconian Wars took place. So I guess in oh. in the Bosconian extended universe, this is part of the canon. Well, I bet you it's a it's more stuff from the Lensman series. Yeah, probably so. This is one of the things where you know how Galaga had like Galaga eighty eight. I think there was something like that for Bosconian. There was like Bosconian eighty nine or Bosconian eighty seven or something like that, where it was just like a computer based version and kind of kind of a quasi sequel with the 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 year on it that would have come out in you know eighty nine or eighty seven or whatever. Pretty sure there was like Spectrum games and stuff that were mm-hmm. Bosconian eighty seven. And there's an official English storyline that that goes along with Bosconian. Um, it's several sentences long. I'll try to skip through some of it here. How the Bosconian Wars started, no one knows. The Federal Council suffered massive losses to the Bosconian enemy's seemingly impenetrable enemy base fortress. Just one fortress. But the Federal Council's luck was about to change. A daring plan to send a spy in among the Bosconians finally paid off. The building plans for the enemy bases were finally revealed. The Council set about constructing a prototype starfighter, which was armed with the capability to exploit the enemy base's weaknesses. With only so much material and so little time, they could only prepare a precious few of these ships, I'm guessing three or five, depending on how the switches were set. (laughs) In order to attract a little attention as possible, they would go in one at a time and try to launch a strike against the enemy base in each sector of space before the enemy could realize what was happening and retaliate. The Bosconian War was about the close. So the version I've been playing has starts you off with three ships. Were you started with five? Uh, well, apparently there's a, a switch setting. Um, yeah, but I'm hoping that'll be my excuse. Oh man, we're definitely. You started with like (laughs) fifty ships, and I only started Uh, with a half. No, I only could shoot backwards. No, no, I'm afraid not. I I started with three ships, just just like you. Oh, Boscone. And I think that kind of sums up everything that that I had to say about Bosconian. Um, I love the game. It's not it's not Galaga, but it's pretty darn close. I will be playing a lot more of this in the future. I had. um... And still have, like this week I was playing this game mostly not on my computer and not using my X-Arcade that it's borrowed and not using the, the control panel I'm in the middle of, of, of building. Ask me how I was playing it, Mike. 
How were you playing it, Carrington? I was playing because I have one of those little handheld joystick thingies that has games built oh, in, yeah. and it's got Dig Dug, Rally X, Galaxian, Pac-Man, and <laughs> Bosconian. And I was like, I've got that in my closet. So I went and grabbed it, stuck a couple of new double A's in after I scraped out all the acid from the double A's that had been left in there too long. And um, it's fantastic. Uh, the I think like the score I'm going to use is from the actual game, because when I played it in MAME, I did far worse, and it seems oh, slower, I see. we're, we're cheating. and All right. I'm pretty sure that they've either removed things or slowed it down or something, but I was able to be, do much better on that handheld <laughs> thing, like like distinctively better every time, so I can tell in some ways it's a, it's a, it's a cheating game, um, but it's no, awesome. No, you just cheated, that's all. No, it's awesome. It's really, really fun. So it's one of those ones with the just like the, like, you know, the little TV all in one game and yeah really really dig it and i actually recommend it it was it was super fun to play that way speaking of scores carrington mm-hmm. it's time well i did okay um i beat the built-in high score that was on my machine which is good <laughs> so hooray for that <laughs> so i did essentially become the high score person but just barely best best i ever did on real mame which is far less than i did on on handheld little mini fake one uh i got sixty-six thousand four hundred and eighty points How'd you do? Um, I I just about doubled your score. Oh, you suck so bad. <laughs> you are a straw. I, I did 126,320 points. Man, I still like this game. Do you like it more now that you're better at me than it? Absolutely. See, yeah, now that's, it's top five, isn't it? Top five game, man. <laughs> that's all I needed to do. Now I'll tell you my real score with now oh. 66,480. I did, I did easily and very frequently get over 100,000 on the little handheld one. Huh. Um, which is what made me think, I, I think my scores are getting better. So then I started playing both and paying attention to the score. And it's definitely the case that I did far worse in MAME than I did on the handheld one. So. Now, if I was playing on a real cabinet, the way these games are supposed to be played, if I could feel the controls, I could see the side art, etc., then um, oh, millions. I would roll it over. I'd still be playing. I'd be playing during this game saying, <laughs> well, hey, what's your high score? I don't know. It's in progress. It's, it's still going on. That's what I say. That's my actual answer. So, so as long as you can see that side art, that's really what makes you a better player. It is. I, actually, I'm going to say that it is because I, well, the thing is, I, I don't know. And it's one of those things where we, we put it in the sponsor message, but I, I, I do actually believe it's true. There's, there's a, there's a significant element to playing these games that is yeah. lost when you're not in front of the cabinet. Last week we were talking about how Rob had written in to say that, that the system one games from Atari have a resonance to them. And I was thinking about it afterwards. It's not just those games, games in general resonate. I've got the, you know, my, um, uh, Gravatar game. I swear I could wake the neighbors with it. It's got, <laughs> and it's not that it's a massive speaker. I don't know what it is, but it just, it has bass to it and you stand in front of it and you really feel it. Cause these games were designed to be played in a noisy arcade and mm-hmm. you've got to still be able to hear them. So they, they project their sound and they've, they've got a real range of the sound that in on my little computer speakers and stuff, when you're playing this, if I'm playing on my laptop, the sound, well, it's lovely. It's missing compared to a real game. And, and, standing in front of a game and playing is different than sitting down in front of playing it. You're not as invested as you are when you've really spent a quarter or you've really spent money to be at that game and you're leaning on top of it and you've got people around you watching. Like there's so much to playing an arcade game that is part of the experience of playing it. And that's different than, you know, sitting at home on a main thing. I love main because it gives me access to a million games and you get to all the time. It's awesome, but it really isn't the same. And so a different experience. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yep. 
Bosconian. It, it, it one of, this, this game, I will say, is a game I love, is a cabinet I would actually like to own. I love Bosconian, and I, and I like a game that you can technically play forever. I like games that are really hard, like Gravatar. The reason I chose Gravatar is a game I can keep playing and never master it. Never master the first level, for instance, <laughs> apparently. But a game like... Um, like like Bosconian is a game you know that you'll never get to the point like I would with I'm sure with Marble Madness I wasn't good at Marble Madness but if I owned it for a year I would be done with Marble Madness I would get to the point where I can finish the game and it would just be about trying to make can I finish a little faster and that would get dull so that's a game that I love but I would never want to own whereas Bosconian is a game it, you can literally play forever if you want you, you could just keep going sit down and say, I'm going to play 20 minutes of that if I could not that I can play for 20 minutes, but you know what I mean? So I think it has staying power, and thus it would be a game that I would want to have in my collection. Plus, the side art looks great. I love it. I love the look of this this cabinet. I think the disparity between um, emulation and, and the actual arcade experience um, is sort of what, what I feel to a greater degree when I, I, I can load up Visual Pinball on my, on my desktop and, and play a pinball game, but there's definitely you love it, some pinball. Uh, I kind of do like <laughs> me some pinball lately, even though I don't really know what's going on in the game. Cheating still. on me with an Apple three podcast, <laughs> loving pinball. <laughs> My, what's uh, yeah. But there's, there's a, there's a huge disparity between that and, and then going into an arcade and playing a, a pinball machine. That's got, you know, weight shakers and things where the table gives you feedback and you can you know, bounce a ball off a glass every now and then. And it's, it's a, a visceral experience that you don't necessarily get. And, and that's certainly the case here, I think now because the the control scheme isn't anything special with Bosconian, it's a little bit easier to to emulate at home than say mm-hmm. something like Tron or Spy Hunter or something like that. But it, there's still yeah, you're still not getting the same experience. Yeah, it's not that visceral thing because you're right. Because here's a perfect example of a game that you can technically emulate. Like there's nothing going on graphically you couldn't do. This isn't a vector monitor or something weird. It doesn't need uh, some special controls. It doesn't need a laser displayer or anything like it. Just it's it seems perfect for me and in a sense it is you've got one button you've got one joystick you've got a simple display relatively low resolution and even then if you really like a game it just makes you kind of miss the real cabinet all the more exactly yeah. uh ken mcleod loved this game so much that he was able to set the world high score on this at two million nine hundred thirteen thousand one hundred fifty points on february 24th 1983 so both you and i have a long way wow to but th- so bosconian which is this is not a particularly rare game well a lot of the cabinets got converted to to galaga it's still out there and oh, i never talk about price but basically for you know three to five hundred dollars you can pick up a bosconian thing or pick up a, a a Junker Gallagher or something else and convert it over. It's relatively easy to convert between a few different things because it's that Namco Gallagher hardware. Um, Rally X, you can convert between them too. Um, and a lot of people know this game because you were saying like it's in all the in all the, the collections, the Namco Museum collections. So you can play it on modern console systems. You can play it on any modern computer. It's a game that a lot of people will know. A lot of our audience would have known already. It's just one of those games. Maybe it's not Frogger famous, but it's, you know, everybody knows it famous. So it's funny that that's a high score on a on a game that rolls over can go forever. You can technically beat that score, and it's lasted since 1983. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's crazy. That that means it's a particularly good score because I'm sure a lot of people have taken a run at that. The, the second place high score is, is significantly lower at one million four hundred forty three thousand thirty points. Wow. Yep. So I don't know if it just gets insanely difficult as, as you get further into the game. I didn't get the impression that it would, at least it ramps up, of course, because it would be boring if it was the same thing every mm-hmm. single level. But it didn't feel like in, you know, 
the, the difference between level one and level five, for example, wasn't so huge that I was worried that I would never make it to level six or seven. There's a level five. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Um, but you're right. Yeah, it wasn't the kind of thing where you see every level is getting doubly fast and you couldn't imagine getting past level 20. It doesn't ramp up that. It just becomes like a little faster. And that little bit is enough that you'll eventually make a mistake and you'll let the spy ship go away and everything doubles speed and then you're you're doomed. It's it's more that the game will kind of set out the rules, play fair, but those rules are tough enough that if eventually you're going to make a misstep. Yeah, I did like the fact that although there's so much going on in the game, I never was confused as to what was happening. I was I was always able to follow the action and figure out what was going on on the screen. Um, and if you want a much better review of this game in podcast form, be sure to check out our friends at the Ten Pence Arcade. This was one of the games that they beat us to. Speaking of um, hack rags, <laughs> I actually really like that show. So I I haven't listened to to that one yet because uh, I wanted to do our our review without sounding like them. Not that, not that there's any danger of being as, say, as good um, as they are. The but, accent. <laughs> there's, there's no danger of us being as good as they are. But but uh, their show number six was all about their views on Bosconi and definitely check them out. And even if you are sick of us and, and after eighty some shows and you want a different perspective, they're over at tenpencearcade.co.uk. <laughs> Okay, we will have a link in the show notes. They're not sick of us, Mike. It's not us. Oh, it's me. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I'm just <Okay>. saying. <laughs> I'm not saying which one of of you is the problem. <laughs> what are you trying to say, Karen? <laughs> oh, I'm saying cheating on me with an Apple Three podcast. I'll link to that one too. Fine, because it has such a good name. Drop three inches. Oh, so good, so good. But I'm really linking to it because of Paul. <laughs> Well, of course, another guy for me on that podcast who's that's, cheating that's, on me from another podcast. All my podcast why, partners are cheating on me. Soon, Sherry's going to have her own show too. I'll be like, "What's up with you people?" Nobody listens for me. That's why. That's why they don't want to hear any more open apple. <laughs> no, they um, like to hear us together as I drag you into putting every game into your top five. That's why you have so many in your top five. Why? Just because this is now like number number three on my list. Like it wasn't before we started. Come on. <laughs> no, I I remember you not liking it. I distinctly I, I remember. Think, I think you were making, make, these are like false memories or could something. Could be, could be. I have a lot of those. All right. Well, here's, what's, here's what next week's game sounds like. And I think that uh, pretty much wraps up our discussion on Bosconian and the fact that, yes, I was right. This is an awesome game, character, <laughs> even though you said otherwise. <laughs> yes. This Bosconian and Bubbles, your two favorite games. It's awesome. Bye, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Alive! Alive!